You may have a seat. <laughs> I just always want to do that. Hey, we've got a packed house tonight here at Doxa Church. We've got like six of our staff. Is anybody here with me? Yeah. yeah. Hey, wherever you're at in the city or on the campus, welcome to Salt Company. We are live streaming this here at Doxa, hoping that we can gather together in person again soon here on, on Thursday nights. But we're going to be in John chapter 4 tonight, if you want to start turning there. John chapter 4, we're in the middle of a series called Conversations with Jesus. And my name is Ronnie. I direct the Salt Company here. Now, a couple years ago, we started this church and I was a young man. But now I am becoming an old man. I'm actually about to turn 30 this year. And it's been a year for me of just like a lot of self-reflection, okay? As I near my birthday in December, I'm just like thinking a lot about my life story. And I wonder for you if this pandemic has caused you to pause and reflect on your life at all as well. You know, maybe you're literally even in like isolation right now or in quarantine and you're just kind of alone in a room. And honestly, guys, it's a great chance for you to just kind of reflect on how your story is going so far. So that's just the question I want to start off with is, how's it going so far for you? Yeah, like your whole life story. Kind of intense, I know, I know. Kind of hard to <laughs> wrap your mind around that. But, but really, like, is it going as expected? You know, do you wish you could rewind a bit? Do you wish you could start over? Or is it actually like a success right now? How would you assess it? Success, failure, you know, somewhere in between. And, and I think the reason that it's hard to grapple with that question besides just the fact that it's a really big question is that when we think about all of our stories, there is this profound stain of sin and suffering and failure. Whether that's our fault or someone else's fault. But one of the things that the Bible is actually really honest about is that that's totally normal. That's part of the human story. All of our lives are marked by sin and suffering. The Bible doesn't try to deny that or hide that. But one of the other things that the Bible is insistent upon is this. The Christians call it the good news. And it's this. Our story in the end does not have to be defined by our sin and our failure. Now it might be, right? It might in the end, your story, your life story might in the end be defined by your sin and your failure. The ultimate reality of that place, the Bible says, is called hell, separation from God forever, a life totally defined by sin and rebellion. It might be, but the good news of the Bible is that it doesn't have to be. Your failures don't have to be final. And really, that's what I want to show you tonight from John chapter 4, that your story, all of our stories, are either going to end as a tragedy or a testimony, all of our stories, Christian or not, will be full of sin and suffering and failure no matter what, but that's not the question. The question is, will your sin, your suffering, and your failure amount to a tragic story of your own making or a beautiful testimony of the grace of God and his work and your life? That's the question. And in John chapter 4, we're going to meet a woman whose life story has all the makings of a tragedy until she meets Jesus. And everything hinges on what you do when Jesus shows up in your story. So that's my hope for us, is that all of us in the end, all of you that are listening to this live stream, your story would not end as a tragedy, but as a testimony. So let's pick it up in verse one of chapter four and see this conversation with Jesus. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again 
for Galilee. So he's getting really popular and he leaves to move on. And look where he goes. Verse four, he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so the hottest time of the day, about noon. Verse seven, this woman shows up. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus notices her and he says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, we'll stop there for now. So we see Jesus, he's traveling around, he's on his way to Galilee, and as he gets popular, he stops to have this conversation with this unnamed woman. He takes a detour through Samaria, and this woman has famously become known as the woman at the well. Right, She just happens to be at the well that day and then Jesus shows up in her story. And I don't know where you're at tonight with Jesus, but for many of us, myself included, it kind of was like a total surprise when he just showed up into my life, into my story. And for her, it was the same. Look at how she initially responds to him. In verse nine, she's basically like, what are you doing here, right? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so here's what's important to know. This woman is a outcast in several really important ways. Number one, she's a religious outcast. Okay, so Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They actually looked down and demonized the Samaritans because they were idolaters. They didn't worship the true God. So she's a religious outcast. She's also a gender outcast. Men at this time looked down and objectified women, devalued them, viewed them as inferior. She's a gender outcast. She's also an outcast because of her ethnicity. She's a Samaritan, which the Jews, they viewed them as half-breeds. They didn't associate with them. They looked down upon them. And then also, she appears to be some type of a social outcast, even in her own community, because she's at this well all by herself, At the hottest time of the day, this would not be the normal time for a woman to draw water. She would have normally gone with her friends in the morning when it was cool, but here she is all by herself. She's obviously avoiding being seen. She appears to be some type of social outcast for some reason. And the point is this, this woman, this woman at the well is at the bottom of the social ladder in pretty much all the ways that matter. And it is shocking to see that Jesus, this Jewish man is pursuing her. And so notice Jesus. Look, look at him. Jesus, he's intentionally pursuing this woman, walking over every obstacle to show up in her story. And she's defensive at first, saying, what is he doing, right? She's wondering, like, what is this guy's motivation? Jews don't associate with Samaritans because of their religion or their ethnicity. But Jesus, he actually goes out of the way. Samaria was not on the way to Galilee. He goes out of the way to walk through Samaria to meet this woman. And men, they don't associate with women like this, especially apparently this woman, but he actually sits down with her to talk. He gives her that dignity. And then also Jesus, he's growing in popularity in the place that he previously was, but then he decides, he makes a decision to leave that popularity and go hang out with this woman who is at the very margins of society. And so right away, this should cause us to just stop and realize that Jesus must be different. 
he must be just like this different type of person. That's what she's starting to wonder. And I know what it's like to you listening tonight. I know what it's like to assume that God wouldn't want anything to do with you and your story. I know what it's like to just assume that the creator God, the all-powerful, what, what would he want to do? How could he see me? Why would he want to get involved with my life? But listen to me tonight. The apostle John, he actually put this story in his gospel to get your attention and to listen to me. Listen to me right now, once and for all, to let you know that God is interested in your story. He's interested in you. And the question is not, would Jesus ever move toward me? The question is, how will you respond when he does? And at this point, we really don't know still why Jesus is there, but we're starting to get the feeling that he's doing more than just asking her for a drink of water. So let's see what he's really after as the conversation continues to unfold. Let's pick it back up in verse seven. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself. So did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and tell him to come here. The woman answered him. You just picture her holding this jar of water. Go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. Probably isn't even looking at him at this point. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now she kind of tries to change the subject here. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem it's the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Okay. So what Jesus just did is expose this woman's life story as a tragedy. He exposes it 
for the tragedy that it is. I mean, imagine being this woman. She went to this well, hoping to not see anyone today. And then this random guy shows up and he basically tells her, hey, your life is unfulfilling. That's the whole thing with the water, right? You're thirsty. I know about your secret sin. That's the whole thing with the five husbands. And he tells her basically, you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to religion. And some of you have, have felt like this maybe when it comes to Jesus. You feel like maybe you need to brace yourself around him. You don't want him to come into your story and tell you what you, you know, you basically already know. Even if you don't admit it to your friends, you kind of basically already know this, that you're miserable. You're not satisfied with the life that you're living. You're actually trapped in a cycle of sin and shame and addiction. And you don't know how to get out, right? You don't know how to quit. And now, whether you fully identify with what I just said or maybe even just a part of it, my point is this, you, you brace yourself around Jesus. You get defensive. But here's the interesting thing. Did you notice, when we carefully read that text, did you notice that this woman who actually started off as defensive is not getting colder towards Jesus? She's actually warming up to him. She started to get defensive, but now she's saying, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, that's a little weird, right? Like, ladies, if you are all alone, hanging out somewhere, you know, Memorial Union Fountain, and some random guy you've never met before, this older guy comes up to you, and he starts speaking in metaphors, offers you something to drink, what do you do? You run, right? Like, you, you run away from that man. You do not take, you don't know what's in that stuff, right? But she isn't creeped out. She isn't anxious around him. She's captivated. She's leaning in. And so we have the words of the text, but if you were really there in person, there must have been something that she was seeing in Jesus that is pulling her in. Something about his tone. The things that he's saying, but just the way that he's saying them, his posture, his warmth. She's getting the sense that there must be something different about him, different than anyone that she's ever met. And she knows what it's like to meet a guy and have a romantic interest in him, right? She's had five husbands, but that's not what she's feeling, right? She calls him sir, <laughs> okay? So she calls him sir. We know that she's not feeling some kind of warm, romantic feeling. No, as Jesus talks to her about the tragedy of her story, as he exposes her sin and makes her face it, she is actually slowly being filled with hope that maybe he is the one that she's been looking for. And so knowing this about Jesus, we need to stop for a moment and, and let him talk to us about the tragedy of sin in our own life. Okay, so she stands there at this well, this well that she's been going to her whole life and she realizes that it doesn't satisfy. That's the first thing about the tragedy of sin is that it doesn't satisfy us. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. But Jesus is not talking to her about mere physical water. He's actually talking to her about her deeper spiritual thirst. Okay, and he's using this moment at the well to actually point back to a key metaphor in the Old Testament of the Bible found in the book of Jeremiah chapter two, where basically God, the creator, he looks down on humanity who he has created and he gives us this picture of the tragic trade-off that all of us have made in our stories. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah chapter two. It says, be appalled, 
O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So he's using this metaphor of himself. I'm the fountain of living waters, the source of all life and goodness and beauty. And the evil number one that they've committed is they have forsaken me. And then look what they've done. Look at the trade-off that we have made. And they've hewed out cisterns, wells for themselves. Broken wells that can hold no water. So this is what sin is, okay? Listen to me. Sin is looking to created things to do for us what only God, our creator, can do. It's looking to a created thing to, to, to ask of it something that only God could really do for you. And so in response to her thirst, what Jesus says is, go call your husband. Essentially saying, hey, you've been going to this broken well of romantic relationships to satisfy you and you know that it's not working. And if you're listening tonight, I hope that you've learned this already. If not, you will learn it in college that romantic relationships will not satisfy that deep thirst in your soul. It will not happen. No boy or girl can satisfy the God-shaped hole that is in your soul. If you're still trying to kind of run that race and chase that, I just want you to know your thirst will never be quenched. It is a broken well. Maybe for you, it's not relationship so much, it's success. You're chasing this thirst of, of success. And so you look to school or your future career or your social standing to give you ultimate value and meaning in your life rather than your creator. This is the tragedy of sin. The tragedy is that it makes promises and then doesn't deliver, doesn't satisfy. And worse than that, it enslaves us. That's the second thing about the tragedy of sin. Look back at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. So question, do you think that this life that she has, specifically in the area of romantic relationships, do you think this is what this woman wanted for herself? when she was a little girl. To basically be passed along from man to man, none of them ever really being a husband to her. Next question, whose fault is that? Hers or theirs? I think the answer is both. And this is the, the tragedy of sin is that we're all caught up in a vicious cycle of our own sin, our own very real choices, but also all done in the context of being sinned against by others. And so Jesus, when he says to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. What is he, what is he getting at there? Question did Jesus show up in this woman's story to condemn her or to redeem her? Salt Company, this is a gentle confrontation that Jesus is having with her. He's trying to rescue her from her slavery. His heart is moved. He's not re like resolving her from her sin. He's saying you have sin in this, but you have been sinned against. And some of you have been deeply, deeply wounded 
by the sin in your life, both yours and theirs. And what Jesus says to you tonight, wherever you're sitting down watching this, is, I know, and I'm here to help. And this should be amazing news to us because the tragedy of sin is that nothing that we have ever done, nothing that we've ever been able to do can get rid of that stain of sin on our lives, not even church stuff. That's the third thing about the tragedy of sin is that nothing seems to be able to get rid of it, even religion. We've tried everything. We've tried working hard at school. We've tried getting a hobby to kind of distract ourselves. We've tried making more friends. We've tried numbing ourselves with whatever it might be, food, drink, video games, substances. We've tried religion and nothing gets sin out of our past, our present, or our future. She starts talking to Jesus about this. and She says, hey, our fathers worshiped on, on this mountain. And some of you are trying to, to practice like this, this religion that you learned growing up from your fathers, from your, from your parents. And it feels like it's not working. It's not working. You're not changing. It actually feels more like a mountain to climb and you can't climb it. And Jesus says to her, you, you worship what you do not know. You're attempting to fix your life through worship, through church, and it's not working because you can't fix your own life. But look what he says in verse 22. He says, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then in verse 25, she says, I know, I, I've heard that, that there's, there's something better than what I'm experiencing coming. Like I've heard that the Messiah is coming, the hero, the savior, the Christ. And, and when he comes, he'll, he'll tell us, he'll show us the way. It's almost as if she's saying like, yes, maybe someday. And maybe some of you are in this place where you've just basically given up. The tragedy of sin in your life, you've given up on it. You've just accepted that this will always be a part of your story. The stain will never go away. But the good news for you tonight that Jesus is demonstrating for us is that God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. He actually comes in verse 26. Look down at your Bible now. We haven't gotten to this verse yet. Look what he says to this woman. I who speak to you am he. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I've come to turn your tragic story into a testimony. Let's continue reading to see how her story takes a dramatic turn. Pick it up in verse 26. I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him, to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. So the disciples, they said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, did you forget his, did you forget his lunch, John? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, guys, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months then come to the harvest? 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So now he kind of finishes his conversation with his disciples and then the scene kind of pans back to the woman. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed with them two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So let's just look at this woman's story and how it's been redeemed. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her tragic story is now being described with this new word, testimony. She has become the spring of well, of welling, living water welling up to eternal life that Jesus talked about, right? Her life was utterly empty. She was on the margins of society, nothing to offer to herself or anyone, but now it's overflowing and it's actually changing other people in her community. This is an amazing transformation. When we first met this woman way back at the beginning of this text in verse nine, we would have never guessed that her story would take a turn like this, but this is what happens when Jesus shows up. But we can't miss how the transformation happens. Look back at how, how her story is redeemed. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, but what was her testimony? What was like the summation of, of what she's saying Jesus did in her life? It's really interesting. He's, she says this, here's my testimony. He told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. He looked into my life and he actually made me face my sin. The way that I changed, the way that my story went from tragedy to testimony is I faced my sin with Jesus. This was the painful way that I was forgiven and set free forever. This is how the tragedy of sin and suffering became a testimony. She owned her story because Jesus owned her story. She owned her sin. She says, my life was a tragedy of my own doing, but now look what God has done. Come see a man. And Jesus didn't say to her in that conversation, hey, let's just ignore your past and pretend that it didn't happen. He actually says, everything that you've been doing in your story and things that have been done to you have led to this tragedy. But God is seeking people just like you to worship him. You are a perfect candidate for exactly what God is doing in the world. He's seeking people just like you. This is what he said to his disciples. He basically tells them, hey, the work that God sent me to do is to go gather people like her for eternal life. And I'm rejoicing in this. So Salt Company, listen to me. Salt Company, God delights to show up in the middle of your story, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your tragedy and wash away your sin. And it is his greatest joy to wash you clean, to show up in the middle of that mess. Your sin actually compels him, compels his heart to move toward you, 
to offer you forgiveness and mercy and grace. He looks at you in your darkest hour and he says, oh my gosh, what a perfect candidate for eternal life. I am so happy that I found you. That's what he says when he sees you in your sin and your darkest hour. And even as a Christian, especially as a Christian, if you've already had your story kind of captured by Jesus, if you're listening to this as a forgiven Christian, sin and suffering will continue on in your story. It will continue on. You will sin. You will be sinned against. You will experience suffering. You will fail. But just know this. All of that now has been swept up as material for your testimony. Your life will not end in tragedy. It cannot. Jesus says, this is what I came to do. And this is why he showed up in her story. This is why he wants to show up in your story. That's why he has. The only question is how Are you going to respond to him? Look back with me at verse 28 and 29. It says, So the woman left her water jar, left it there with Jesus, and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Okay, so at the end of this conversation, the woman is standing there holding this jar, right? She came out to the well to draw water at the hottest hour of the day. She's holding this jar, this jar that had probably been with her through so much of the sin and so much of the suffering. It basically represents her tragic story. And then everything comes full circle for her when she actually responds to Jesus's initial question. Do you remember what the very first thing that Jesus asked her was? He walks up to her and says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. And this woman now, after their whole conversation has happened, holding that jar, she responds to that question. She not only gives him a drink, she says, you can have the jar, you can have the well. I'm leaving my old story behind forever and I'm going on and I'm telling everyone about you. Jesus doesn't show up in this woman's life to expose the tragedy of her story. He gives and then give her like instructions about how to go do better, about how to, how to go write her story differently. What does he do? He says, give me a drink. He doesn't say, here's what you should go do. He says, hey, I want you to give me something. I want you to give me what you've been drinking that hasn't satisfied you. I want you to give me the tragedy of your story that you're living. I want you to give me your sin. I want you to give me your shame. I want you to leave it with me. I'll take it. I will save you from it. Salt Company, whoever you are listening, if you try to write your own story, it will end in tragedy because you're a sinner. But if you will give Jesus your story, if you will let him start writing the rest of your story, if you let him redeem you, he will turn it into a testimony because he is a savior. That's what he came to do. And at the cross, that's exactly what he did. The cross was simultaneously a great tragedy and an unbelievable triumph. He took our sin He took our shame. He nailed it to the cross onto himself. 
Jesus later in the Gospel of John, he's going to start to refer to the sins of the world as his cup. His cup that he has to drink. The cup of the wrath of God on sin. The just punishment that we all deserve and all those people out there that have hurt you deserve. His cup. And he says, give me that cup. Knowing what it would cost him, he says, give me a drink. And then his blood poured out and he washed away our sin once and for all. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is a different author. This is the Apostle Paul. He says in his own way what Jesus has done to change our stories. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Their story will end in tragedy. They will not inherit what human beings were made for. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor people who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the tragedy of sin. And then he says, and such were some of you. All of us. This is all of our stories. This is the human story. This is your story. All a tragedy. But he says, such were some of you. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. If you are a Christian, your story is not about you anymore. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you will do. It's not on you. It's on him. It's about him. It's about what he's done. You are not your own. And so she sets the jar on the ground and she leaves it with Jesus. And she runs into the town with her hands finally empty of the baggage and the shame. And she runs boldly to these people that she was afraid to even be around. She'd been so fearful of them, but she's a changed woman shouting at the top of her lungs to the people that she's been hiding from. And she's not actually empty handed. She's traded that jar for Jesus. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the one? Can this be the Christ? Is this the hero that we've all been looking for? If you want your story to be turned into a testimony tonight, instead of a tragedy, give him your drink. You've got to give him your drink. You've got to give him what you've been drinking. You've got to give him your story. You've got to give him your sin. You've got to let him forgive you and redeem you and write a new story in your life. You've got to give him your past, your present, and your future that will be marked with sin and suffering and let him claim you as a trophy of his grace. And if you do that, if you do that, and Christian, if you've already done that, remember this with me right now. This is true of you. Verse 42 becomes your story, not just something that we read in the Bible. Verse 42 says this, it is no longer because of what you said, what this woman said that we believe. It's no longer just about her changed life. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Let's pray to him. Jesus, we believe that you pursue us. God, and sometimes it takes 
gathering together like this to focus on you, like David prayed and, and talked about at the beginning, and just kind of clearing out the distractions and the clutter and the, the doubt that creeps in from just living in our world to realize and remember that you are real and that you are actively pursuing people to worship you. And we believe that. We believe that. We don't believe that our stories are an accident. We don't believe that this night is an accident. We can read the woman at the well story and see how this was not a coincidence, God, and we believe that about this moment too. So God, I pray for those that are Christians tonight that you are in charge of their story. They've given the right to, to write their story over to you. I pray that we would be just filled with confidence and joy and rejoicing like this woman as we sing. And for those that are watching this, listening to this, that you are speaking to that are not Christians. God, I pray that you would speak to them and gently confront them with the way that their life is headed without you. God, and just make it so clear to them your offer, your offer of forgiveness and salvation and a new story. Praise your name. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen.